Listening to the Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, visit my website, ericdaw.com. That's E R I C D A W.com. Click the contact link and send in your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call 757 774 8482. You can call or text that number 757 774 8482. Yes, indeed, this is the Fret Files podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your friendly guitar scientist. With over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars, with me, as always, is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. Greetings, guitar nerds. Uh, I've been getting a lot of messages from listeners, and I'll basically sum them up because I don't want to read them all, right? Okay. But I'll basically sum them up. They usually say something like, what's the deal? I thought the podcast was going to be weekly. Am I missing something? And no, you're not missing something. Um, we're still going monthly. I, I I, feel like I made a mistake. I announced that a little early to say we were going to go weekly. That's still the plan. But here's the deal, guys. The reason I haven't done it yet is because um, the, uh, the place that the podcast lives now on the internet is a website called ufoship.com and it's a podcast network right and the guy who runs that network really doesn't want to mess with me doing a weekly show so i have to migrate all of the old shows and uh design a new website and uh move all of that content over to a new website and then figure out how to start doing that all on my own. I've got a little bit of help, and uh, it's going to all happen, but until I move the podcast, I cannot do a weekly show. Otherwise, I'd be doing it now. It's not that I don't want to do it or that I don't have time to do it, but uh, I, I literally cannot do a weekly show until we move everything over to a new website, and it's going to be fretfiles.com, which... Now, that just redirects to uh, to ufoship.com, where the podcast is. But, you know, going forward, if uh, everything goes well, you won't even notice a change if, if you listen to iTunes or something else. But, um, yeah, we're going to try to move everything, and I don't know how all of the RSS feed stuff works, and uh, we really... That's That really is our goal. We're going to move towards doing a weekly podcast, but I have to get all the website stuff figured out first. So I'm frustrated about it, too, and thanks for all your messages about it. I, I appreciate uh, everybody's interest in it, but that's the story. And we're hoping very soon. Yeah. Right? I mean... Yeah, it's... I've got the website. So I had to... When I moved to Idaho, I needed to redesign three websites. Well, redesign two websites and then design from scratch another website. So 
Um, one of those websites is ericdaw.com, which is where uh, my repair services are talked about and all of everything I do. And then pinupcustomguitars.com, the, the custom guitars I make, I revamped that website. Those are both done and look really good. If you haven't checked them out, go check them out. Uh, with the help of Watson Design Services, who's doing a fine job. And uh, then fretfiles.com. That's the next one to be done. So it's taken, you know, about a month per website. So, you know, maybe another month here. But I really, that's really what we're working towards, and it will be done soon. Cool. Yeah, that's the news there. Um, and that's the reason why we're not doing it weekly yet. So, uh, you know, stay posted about that. Um, do you want to do some guitar news? Sure. Guitar news. Well, two sad stories out of Texas. Um, first of all, there's a lot of flooding down in Texas, which you might not think is guitar news, but... I tell you what, Houston and that area, that's a big music scene, and there's right. a lot of uh, great music stores down there, and music suppliers, like All Parts, is down there, um, and All Parts has been closed since the uh, f- since the flooding started, since yeah. the storm started. I don't think they're flooded. I hope not, but... I know. Yeah. I actually, I'm, you know, and, and not to make light of everything else that's going on, I mean, people are losing their homes and... Right. drowning and such, you know. So I you know, I don't mean to make it all about guitars, but this is a guitar show. Anyhow, the first thing one of the first things I did when I heard about that is I looked at the flood map, FEMA's flood maps to see if all parts was uh, underwater or not. I get a lot of stuff from them. From FEMA? No, from, <laughs> from all parts. They're they're a great company. We need to have. I need to call All Parts and see if they'll see if somebody there will talk to us. That'd be a fun interview to interview All Parts. Yeah, let's wait until the crisis is over. Yeah. Hopefully, long over. Yeah. Let's not be insensitive. Yeah. Um, and our other big story is out of Texas, and uh, this breaks my heart because this guy was a friend of mine. I. He lived in Seattle for a while, and uh, he passed away. His name is Eric Danheim. Eric Danheim of of Big Tex Guitars passed away August 5th of of liver failure. This is from the Houston Chronicle. Danheim knew the honky-tonk playbook for the Fender Telecaster and added a few pages to it himself while playing with the Hollisters and the Wagoneers, two beloved country bands that leaned heavily on his playing. He struck a tone of his own. The sort of thing that earns admirers for a guitarist. Wagoneer's frontman, Monty Warden, says other players would be awestruck at how Danheim did so without too many gadgets. Which, as an aside here, that's that's the mark of a good guitar player. Right. Not Not too many gadgets. Every band we'd open for and every band that would open for us, you'd see guitarists with every pedal and gearbox and every bell and whistle you could possibly imagine, he says. Eric Danheim would just plug his guitar into an amp and his tone was better than anybody else's. Everybody asked him about it. Hey, man, what is it that you do? I always loved his tone and it wasn't just me. No, that's true. He had great tone. I I was lucky enough to see him play a lot. A Houston native 
who played in several bands beloved in Texas, Danheim was also a master guitar builder whose big Tex guitars were lovingly made new versions of prohibitively priced vintage instruments. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Danheim gave the entirety of his life to music until he died earlier this month, August 5th of liver failure. He was 58. Uh, this is, as an aside here, I'm, not, I'm no longer reading, but the uh, kind of the beginning of pinup custom guitars was... Uh, I, I worked for, I didn't work for him. I worked with, you know, with Eric Danheim on some of those big text guitars. I would, uh, he had me do the bone nut on a lot of those guitars, on a lot of those early guitars. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, he was kind of a big inspiration to me, um, you know, 10 years ago and when I started building guitars. Anyhow. His passing left a lot of friends reeling. I'm continuing reading here. Everybody says nice things about you after you're gone, Warden says. The great thing about Eric, everybody always talked about what a great guy he was while he was still here. He was a Fender-centric guy, and for a time, Fender wasn't making vintage replicas, said Bart Wittrock, owner of Rockin' Robin Guitars and Music, and a friend of Danheim's. And we couldn't really afford vintage in instruments, so he figured it out himself. He didn't wake up a guitar maker. He'd buy parts, build something, sell it, and then build another. As, luthier, as a luthier, Danheim worked under the name Eddie Dale. He started Big Tech's guitars for... for which he hand-built guitars that looked and sounded like vintage solid bodies from the 50s and 60s. Danheim studied the formulas for lacquer and paint used on original Fender Telecasters and Stratocasters and Gibson Thunderbirds to ensure precise period detail. He deliberately applied a thin finish to the guitars to recreate the timber and tone produced by old wood that had been played for years. He had an un a canny, an uncanny eye for details, said Whitrock, whose store stocked and sold big tech's instruments. And he had an incredible talent for vintage feel and tone. The more he learned, the better he got. His guitars kept getting better and better. Scarcity and collector demand pushed the cost of vintage originals into the tens of thousands of dollars, but Danheim's big tech's in instruments offered comparable look and sound for a couple thousand. And while those instruments reflect a sunburst-painted joy for creating something new, Danheim also struggled in his last years. Friends cite his wife Betsy's death from a swimming accident in Hawaii in 2009 as a turning point from which he never recovered. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when that happened. That's awful. Well, he was a friend of mine, and uh, I was just really saddened to hear his about his passing, and uh, just thought I'd bring you that news. He was a cool guy. He was all Texas. Was he from Texas? Oh, yeah. I was hanging out with him once, and because uh, he lived in Seattle for a while when I lived there. Right. But uh, I was hanging out with him once, and he called a gas station a fill-in station. Like he was from the 40s. A filling station. I mean, who calls a gas station a filling station anymore? Oh, <laughs> uh, he was a good guy. And uh, I remember when his wife died they were on vacation man this is the worst story they were on vacation and they went out to do some scuba diving yeah and they got out there and she had a heart attack <sighs> out there scuba diving i know like out that's awful in the ocean yeah yeah and she passed away in 2009 anyway that's the news 
I know it's nothing good. It's <laughs> nothing very, uh, nothing very happy. But that's the news. Shall we do some questions? Yes. We get Hi, Eric. This is Jim with The Lore. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for your kind words and recommendation of The Lore Archtops to one of your listeners on Fret Files number 37. One thing I'd like to point out is that The Lore instruments are in fact set up and inspected in the USA prior to shipping out to dealers. That's good. This is a point that differentiates us from many of our competitors that are importing instruments from Asia. As you might imagine, warehousing and shipping through varying climates can affect the setup, but we take pride in the fact that typically the only adjustment necessary may be a minor, minor neck tweak. We'd be happy to, happy to answer any questions you might have regarding our instruments and how, and how we approach setup and inspection. All the best, Jim. That was cool. You yeah. never know. You never know who's listening. I know. You know. Seriously. Uh, I, I'm surprised that they uh, that they wrote to me. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, I I. I had recommended the lore to a fellow who was looking for a budget archtop, and I was kind of hesitant about it. <laughs> um, but you know, I really shouldn't have been. I I think they're great guitars. I mean, for the money, they're really they're really nice guitars. So yeah. Hey guys, I've decided to buy an Fender AM Pro Stratocaster. I have no idea what that is. I've never heard of that. I got to be honest. I just don't keep up on Fender's new stuff. To me, Fender... Well, never mind. Go ahead. What? Never mind. Okay. However, I'm thinking about a Fender custom shop. My question is this. Are the differences of a custom shop, which is not customized for you, worth the extra $2,000 you pay over a a top-of-the-line production guitar, in your opinion? Keith. Thanks, Keith. Um, So the difference between a... uh, the difference between a custom shop, Fender, and uh, uh, an off-the-assembly line, a Fender, is about $2,000. And that's it? I don't know. I suppose that there's differences. Maybe they use different pickups. I honestly, I, you know, I wouldn't spend that. I got to be honest with you. I would not spend that kind of money on, on a Fender. I, I, to me... Fender closed years ago. They still use the name. It's a different company. It's a different company entirely They who owns the name, and they make guitars. They say Fender on them. I wouldn't buy a modern Fender. That's my opinion. I'm so sorry. I really don't, you know, mean to disparage them. And see, now watch. Fender's yeah, going to write a nasty letter. No, they don't have time for me. Um, but that's my opinion. I got to be honest with you. I wouldn't recommend either guitar. I, I'd recommend... A maker like myself or like Eric Danheim of Big Techs, you know, it's guys like us. Because they uh, will actually make it customized we're making, for you. We're making, we're trying to make nice guitars that, uh, man, they're way cheaper than Fender and they're, in some ways, they're a lot more Fender than, than Fenders. <laughs> I mean, I got to be careful what I say, but I'm telling you the truth here. I, that's just my opinion. Um the custom shops, the custom shop instruments are nice, but uh, boy, oh boy, do they want a lot of money for those. Anyway, that's my that's my opinion. 
Hello, Eric and Melissa. Love having the podcast more frequently and will try to submit questions more often also. Yeah, well. Yeah, soon. Truth be told, my first time soldering was when I swapped the pickups in my Epiphone SG and also replaced the input jack and pickup switch. Did I do a great job? In fact, I had to rework it a few times to finally get it to work, and I can guarantee there are most likely some cold joints in there. (laughs) Having said all of that, my question is, lately when I turn up the volume pots all the way on either pickup, I get some noise coming through my amp. Will redoing all my shoddy work fix this, or should I be happy my guitar can play? <laughs> How difficult is it to remove my bad soldering work also? Cheers, Corey. Yeah. Cool, Corey. Um, I tell you what, it, it's hard for me to troubleshoot your guitar, I, you know, over an email like this. I don't know why, when you turn the volume pots all the way up, you get noise coming through your amp. That could be a million different things. It absolutely might be your soldering work. It might be also, um, you know, if you overheat pots by soldering on them too much, then uh, it it damages the carbon path in there, and you end up with problems in your pots. So, you know, if you feel like it, here's what I would do, is uh, tear that all out and start over again. If you're doing it yourself, you know, those pots are cheap. I mean, really, those all the all the parts that you're dealing with there are pretty cheap. You could probably leave the switch. That's the most expensive part. But those pots and the jack, you could get all of that for, you know, not more than 20 bucks, and then uh, rewire it. And it's an SG, so it's easy to get into. It's not like you're rewiring a 335 or something, something that's difficult to uh, get the the electronics in and out of. Yeah, rewire it, man. Rewire it. If nothing else, it's good practice, and uh, it might just fix what's wrong with it. And even if it doesn't, you're bound to do a better job the second time, right? It's good practice. Yeah, totally. Thanks, Corey. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Interesting discussion about Guitar Center in episode 37. I think one of your comments at the outset was correct. These stores are showrooms which you go to to try out an instrument, which you can then buy online cheaper. We did the same kind of thing recently when buying a new dishwasher. <laughs> I'm they ju- sell dishwashers at Guitar Center? <laughs> well, I'm, he's he's saying he went and tried out a dishwasher at, a, like, I, I assume, I like, a tr- big box store. I don't store. think he tried it out. Well, that's I what I mean. That. Like, he just went to look at it? Well, you want to make sure they have good tone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying the podcasts. Keep up the good work. Muzz. M-U-Z. Muzz? Yeah. From Down Under. Yeah, I think that that's uh, an unfortunate truth. I don't know, unfortunate for whom, but... Uh, Guitar Center. Yeah, they really are showrooms that you that people go and try out stuff, and then they buy it online. Yeah. But, you know, that that's going on... Yeah, like you said, man, you, you did the same thing when you bought a new dishwasher. Right. That goes on at all the big box stores. Um, I do the same thing with clothes sometimes, too. Really? Yeah, I, I go try on a pair of pants the brand i want yeah find the size i need and then i buy them online i didn't know that it's a surprise yeah yeah absolutely you know i thought that guitar center did a lot of online sales but i guess they don't that's musician's friend it's there it's i thought they were the same thing but i i think they used to be the same thing and then split apart or something like that so Hmm. yeah anyhow yeah good observation there my man muzz (laughs) 
Hey, Eric, not sure if you want to use this or not on the show, but I'm having electric bass troubles and would love some advice. I have some kind of fender. Is it though? Or is it just a sticker <laughs> bass that I rescued out of a, a friend's garage? It was missing some hardware that was easy to replace, but continues to give me a little trouble. It's got a PJ pickup co configuration with two stacked tone and volume knobs and zero pickup selector switches. After some problems with the jack, I opened it up to check the soldering and found, I'm sure you've guessed it by now, some motherboard plastic thing that I can't understand. Uh. I want to rip it out and replace the guts with pots that I can work on. Any advice on what's to, what to use? The stack CTS250K pot seems straightforward, but I'm unsure what capacitor to choose or a wiring diagram that doesn't include a pickup selector in the circuit. Anyway, any direction you could give me on or off the air would be really appreciated. Thanks for your show and best of luck to the family. Kent Ellingson. Thanks for the question, Kent. You know, I'm never sure if we should use their uh, full name when they send it or not. That's fine. Yeah, he sent it. He's, he's yeah. comfortable hearing it on the air, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's my advice. Uh, I, first of all, I don't know what that motherboard circuit board is doing in there. So um, sometimes uh, there's a battery and a circuit board and all that jazz, and then you've got active pickups, right? And so you can't really take all of that out without replacing the pickups. If you have active pickups, then you need all that junk. So, first thing is to figure out what kind of pickups you have. If they're just plain old bread-and-butter passive pickups, then uh, you can take out that silly motherboard and all of that jazz and uh, just wire it up like a normal like a normal base. Well, how do you tell? Well, you want to take the pickups out and look at the bottoms and see what's going on there and take a reading with a... Uh, take a reading with a volt ohm meter and see uh, what the pickups read, see if they're marked. If they're marked like, you know, EMG active pickups or something like that, then, you know, you have active pickups. But if they just look like plain old fender pickups with magnets and a coil and they have, a you know, you stick a meter on there and it reads kind of a recognizable, huh, you know, what a, what a pickup should read, um, then... You can just wire it up like a normal base. Um, personally, uh, I'm not crazy about those stacked pots. I, those drive me nuts because I can never turn one down without turning the other down. And then I can never remember which knob is volume and which knob is tone. So if it were me, uh, I'd maybe put like a a blend knob and a tone knob in there. I don't know. I mean, you could go, you could do whatever you want, but the, the, the real trick is, um, figure out why that, that circuit board's in there and, uh, whether or not it needs to be in there because of the pickups. So that's what I would tell you. Um, he also says he's unsure what capacitor to choose or a wiring diagram that doesn't include a pickup selector in the circuit. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Um, again, so, yeah, so there's no uh, uh, switch. You know, you could always add one, but that's that's kind of just the standard um, way that those are. Uh, there's really not, not normally a switch on those. So 
Yeah, just yeah, that should be an easy. That should be a really easy uh, schematic to find on the internet. And then as far as what capacitor to choose uh, for a base, I would go with either a point oh five microfarad or a point one. That's my recommendation. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Kent. Eric and Melissa, really enjoying the podcasts. I'm looking forward to hearing them more frequently. It's, it's kind of a common theme. Yeah. <laughs> I have this Gretsch 6118T, and the Brit in the Bigsby is crooked. I don't remember you ever talking about this problem, although I seem to remember a lot of disdain for many of the TREM systems out there. <laughs> it really isn't causing too many issues, although it tends to pull the low E off the saddle if I'm not careful. Is there a special technique to string one of these guitars to get the Bigsby to stay in line, or is this just something that probably needs to be repaired? It doesn't look to me like it's mounted off-center, but I haven't measured it with any real accuracy. Would heavier strings help? I've been thinking of going to 11s from 10s on the Gretsch anyway. Keep up the good work. Scott from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Cool. Thanks, Scott. Um, There's kind of the the quick and easy and dirty fix, and then there's the real fix, if that's truly off-center. And what you want to do is, you know, figure out whether it is or not. Um, but no, there's really no trick to restringing it to fix it. Uh, the trick is, if if you don't want to move the Bigsby, what you want to do is um, uh, take the strings off and... Uh, You'll put you'll you'll take the Bigsby off and you just put a small washer between the guitar and the Bigsby um, on the side that needs to be moved. I don't know how to how to describe this. So I think he's saying his low E is too close to the fingerboard. Okay. Right. Yeah. So if that's the case, then you want to put a washer on the side of the high E, the treble side. Because there's there's like three mounting screws on those Bigsby's usually, right? Um, and you'll put a washer. I'm talking about on the on the butt end of the guitar, where the Bigsby mounts to the end block. You can put a washer on the high E side on the treble side, just oh, to just to cheat it out a little bit and and force it to sit at a slight angle so that it lines up with the neck properly. The only way, other way to fix it is to take the darn thing off, dowel, fill and dowel the holes with dowels and glue, and then re-drill it just a slight bit <laughs> yeah. uh, off from there to, you know... To where it needs to, to be. To where it needs to be, yeah. Right. Yeah, so those are the two ways to fix it, but, um, you know, you can cheat just by putting a, a thin washer there on the treble side. That's mm-hmm. what I would probably do if that were my guitar. Well, thanks, Scott. And 11s will help uh, if you're having trouble with the strings jumping out of the saddles. Um, Then 11s will help. Cool. There's a fair amount of back and forth on how to properly set up a Fender Jazzmaster or Fender Jaguar on the Internet. Some claim with authority that they just need to be set up with the neck shimmed and heavy strings. Still others say that, that a device called a buzz stop is in order. Even others go so far as to say that the bridge must be replaced with an expensive boutique is that a word? <laughs> thing called a mastery bridge. It seems that every proponent of each solution decries all the other solutions as inadequate and even amateurish laziness. What is a guitar player to do? How would you set up an offset guitar? What advice do you have for making them perform properly? 
Thanks, James, a listener in Portland, Oregon. Oh, James. Um, I t- let me tell you something. <laughs> the fact that there is an an entire um, an entire market devoted to to uh, boutique aftermarket jazzmaster parts to make them, you know, quote perform properly. Right. Right. Um, that should tell you something. That you know, all of the aftermarket parts to fix a Jazzmaster and a Jaguar. That should tell you something. It, that that guitar, I you know, I've said this on the show before, but I've got to say, man, those offset guitars. That's 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 Fender's Edsel. That's Fender's Lemon. That's my opinion. I know they're I know they're fun. I know they sound cool. I know they have a fun vibrato. That's just my opinion. That's why there's all this aftermarket stuff to try to make them perform properly. Now the truth is that those guitars were designed at a time when people used much heavier strings, generally speaking. So they do perform a lot better with heavier strings. But you try to tell a young hipster who plays with nines that he needs to play with 12s. It just doesn't always work that way. It's hard to convince somebody that they need to use 12s on their guitar. So really, it depends on the player. Um, A buzz stop can be a useful thing if you're trying to make a Jazzmaster or a Jaguar behave with skinny strings. It can be uh, a beneficial thing. Um, it, it can be a beneficial thing to put the mastery bridge on. Uh, it's not always necessary, you know, it, it, it's also beneficial to shim the neck up and use heavy strings. These are all, you know, these are all fixes, uh, for what's inherently going on with the jazz master. And the problem is, I know I've talked about this on the show before, the angle between the bridge and the tailpiece. It's just a kind of a shallow angle, and if you try to put nines on there and tune it to drop D, you're going to have a hell of a time keeping the thing in tune and keeping the strings in the saddles. It's just going to be a nightmare. My suggestion is to raise the nut way up and slip a Telecaster under the strings. <laughs> I'm, I love Fender guitars. I mean, you know, I just got done... I just got done saying how much I hate Fender, new Fenders. No, I like Fender-style guitars. Um, you have to you have to look at the Jazzmaster and the Jaguar and the other offset, you know, that era of Fender guitars. You have to look at it in context of the history of Fender. Fender revolutionized the electric guitar uh, industry. I mean, really started it, you know by making what was then called at the time the Broadcaster, which is just a Telecaster, but by a different name, right? Revolutionized the guitar industry. Everybody, the first time they took the Telecaster or the Broadcaster to a NAM show, they just about got laughed out of the place. People were saying, did you see this guy over here with this electric canoe paddle? 
and the darn things caught on uh, and sold like gangbusters. Then they they thought, what can we do that's going to be better? So they designed the Stratocaster. Oh, it had another pickup. Instead of two, it had three pickups. Instead of one cutaway, it had two cutaways. Instead of uh, a string through the body, it had a tremolo system. Instead of two knobs, it had three knobs. Well, I mean, we're talking about a major upgrade here, right? Right. So they did the Stratocaster. It was even more popular. Then they sat back and and thought, well, let's go back to the drawing board. Now what? You know, well, how about more knobs? How about how about we make a guitar for jazz players? You know, and that's that was really what the Jazz Master was about. They were trying to make a guitar for. For jazz players, I mean, that's why they call it the Jazz Master, right? It was kind of a flop. Other than, like, some surf guys picked up on it. You know, they didn't sell well. They're, in my opinion, kind of poorly designed, over-engineered. The pickups hum worse than the the previous fenders did because they're, because of the way the coil is. Uh... That's kind of where Fender went wrong, in my opinion. Anyway, I know I'm going way off base here from your question. Um, what's the right way to set those up? James, it depends on your playing style. I would tell you heavier strings if you can stomach it, if you just can't do heavy strings. And I know I've set up guitars for thousands of people that, you know, you try telling somebody that they need to use heavier strings. It's, it doesn't always work. So it just depends on your tolerance for for heavy strings. If you just can't handle heavy strings, a buzz stop might help you. Um, there's really no right way to make those behave because they're kind of quirky guitars. That's my opinion. How'd you like that? Pretty good. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hi, podcast fans. Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years, and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed, though. We still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do down here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com, and you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps. Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones and Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, pinup custom guitars. Can't say enough good things about them. Pinupcustomguitars.com. It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a, a real vintage 50s Telecaster style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the real vintage style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. PinupCustomGuitars.com. 
It makes me personally a better player. A very vintage-sounding instrument, very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat 50-style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I, I ended up buying two of them, and I, I use them both on a regular basis. I'll tell you what, if I had the money, I'd own 10 of them. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and, and uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. PinUpCustomGuitars.com. That's PinUpCustomGuitars.com. Hey everyone, it's Melissa. As many of you may know, I make tooled leather guitar straps. Each strap is cut, carved, stamped, dyed, and finished by hand. My straps are made to last a lifetime. Visit melcoleather.com to check out my designs or contact me with your custom order. Contact me through my Etsy site or melcoleather at gmail.com. Podcast listeners will receive 15% off their order on Etsy when they use code FRETFILES at checkout. melcoleather.com. M-E-L. CoLeather.com. Hi, Eric and Mel. Love the podcast and excited to hear it may be more frequent. I figured if so, I better start sending in my questions since you might be needing more of them. A few years back, I bought a Gibson Les Paul after years of playing a Fender Strat. At first, I thought I just wasn't used to humbuckers or didn't know how to set my amp for them because when I got it home, it sounded mid-heavy, flat, and dull no matter what I tried. Years later, I tried lowering the neck pickup and got maybe 10% closer to what I was looking for. After that, I swapped out the four-wire stock, wax-potted Gibson 57 Classic and Burstbucker 3 pickups for lower output, two-conductor Burstbucker 1 and 2s. That improved things massively, getting a lot more treble, but I'd say I'm still only 50% of the way to what I'm looking for. If I dig out a very bright overdrive pedal and crank its tone, I can get a Good 70s crunch, but clean. Things just aren't there. The bass strings in particular still sound pretty dull. I guess I have two main questions. First, do the four wire versions of pickups compromise on tone? I've played 57 classics in an L5 jazz guitar and thought they sounded great on the same amp with the same settings my Les Paul dulled out on. Second, is it time to trade in this Les Paul for another, or are there other things to try? Other pickups? Swap out the push-pull pots for standard ones? I really like how the guitar looks and plays, so it's just tone chasing that I'm after now. If it matters, when I swapped out the four-wire pickups, I just soldered to ground and one of the many solder points on the push-pull pots with the new one-wire two-conductor pickups. Not sure if that's a problem. Thanks so much for the years of podcasting. This show is a big part of what gave me the confidence to buy a well, Weller Hobby Iron and try the pickup swap on this guitar, which has been bugging me for years. Take care, Ben from Seattle. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised, you know, to hear um, that a, that those humbuckers sounded dull compared to a, to a Strat. Um, they're ju- they just are voiced differently. They really are. They're just voiced differently. So, um, yeah, and I'm not surprised to hear you say that you got uh, lower output pickups and that got you 50% of the way to what you're looking for. So that's that's um, lower, lower output pickups are going to be brighter. So, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised there either. So, 
Yeah, other than that, you know, the, that's just kind of how humbuckers are. They have they have a mid-heavy kind of flat sound to my ears. I, you know, that's always been my experience with them. Um, it can be made to sound awesome, but if you're expecting a brighter sound, you know, you're not probably not going to get there. I always think about, you know, there's a... I love Mark Knopfler, and here's a good example. Mark Knopfler... Uh, he's the the guy, the the lead guy from uh, Dire Straits, yep, right? Yep. Mark Knopfler played a Strat on Sultans of Swing, so that is just a classic Strat sound, right? Then he played a Les Paul on uh, Money for Nothing, okay. and what a difference in sound! Now it's true that he had it running through a an effect pedal. In fact, he had it running through a wah-wah pedal just set to a certain point, you know. But, um, yeah, they just have radically different sounds, so I'm just not surprised. Uh, he asks, do the four-wire versions of pickups compromise on tone? No, they there shouldn't be any difference. There shouldn't be any tonal difference whether or not you've got a four-conductor pickup or a two-conductor pickup. The only reason that they make them in different versions is so that you can uh, rewire it at the controls uh, to to do things like um, out-of-phase and and coil tapping. Hmm. But it, it won't sound any different when it's wired up as a full humbucker. That might be something to do is coil tap. Of course, now you've got two-conductor pickups, so you can't coil tap. Yeah. Yeah, anyhow, uh, thanks, Ben. I appreciate you submitting a question. He had two questions. Oh, did I miss one? Yeah. I'm so sorry. Is it time to trade in this last ball for another, or are there other things to try? I mean, that's hard to say. You know, um, what else can he do to brighten it up? Uh, check and see if the pots are 500K. They should be. Um, but you can replace the pots you can put one meg pots in there and that'll brighten it up. You can also do, um, you could, tr you could try different wiring. Uh, a lot of guys claim that, you know, they'll do something like the fifties wiring mod and, and they hear a difference. Hmm. I never really did, but you could give it a shot. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, before we go, uh, what's white, what's, what's uh coil tapping? So a humbucker is is basically two single coil pickups right next to each other, hardwired together right. uh, in series, right? Right. Coil tapping means turning off one of the coils, and now you have a hum uh, you've turned a humbucker into a single coil pickup oh. by only using half of it. Interesting. You just short out one of the coils. Hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ben. I was told by my tech that rotating a humbucker 180 degrees so that, so that the pole pieces are on the other side will make it out of phase with the other pickup. I don't, I didn't think this sounded right, but what do I know? Is this true? It seems like an easy way to get out of phase tone, but it sounds too easy. Does it work? Barry. Barry, the short answer is no. Um, I've heard people say that before. I don't know why that rumor gets around. I've heard people say that that should know better. But yeah, rotating the pickup does not make it out of phase. It it doesn't do anything to the phase. Um, people claim that it will change the sound a little bit. Um, 
uh, you know, I mean, we're talking about a very small, tiny difference, but definitely not out of phase. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, Barry. I heard you say that you have a fret arbor, but you still use the hammer-in method when hammer-in method a lot when installing frets. My question is, with a fret arbor, why would you ever bother using the old hammer-in method? It seems to me that the fret arbor is a much better way to do it. Thanks for the show, Jackson in Arlington. Um, that's a great question, Jackson. You know, the, the fret arbor is great, and I do enjoy using it. Uh, there's just some situations where it doesn't work well. Um, you have, with the fret arbor, you have a few preset um, radius calls that uh, only work for necks that, that match those radius uh, right. attachments. Right. So let's say you've got a neck with a compound radius. That That's a thing. You could have a, a, a neck that starts out with a seven and a quarter inch radius and changes to a 10 inch radius by the time you get up to the end or, you know, pick a number. There's, right. there, there's compound radius necks. Fred Arbor won't really work there. Hmm. Um, there are guitars like uh, Les Pauls and SGs that by the time you get to the end of the neck there, um, it's hard to stick that whole guitar in the Fred Arbor. Yeah. It doesn't really fit. And you can't really take the neck off. That's correct. So acoustic guitars, you know, you can use the Fred Arbor for the first 12 or so frets, but after that... Hmm. Makes sense. So there's there's reason to use the hammer-in method. Um, all things being equal, I probably do prefer the fret arbor. Uh, it's faster and a little easier and a little more... Um, I don't know. It's just fun. It's, it's fun to use the fret arbor. Hammering in frets does take a little more skill and patience, but there's times when it absolutely is necessary. It's just absolutely necessary sometimes. For professional results. <laughs> well, thanks, Jackson. <clears throat> Hi, Melissa and Eric. First of all, let me say it's really cool to be able to participate and help you run the show. To anyone out there with any kind of guitar-related question, give yourselves a push and submit them. You'll hear your name mentioned and receive a cool answer and additional thoughts free of charge. It's true, you know, and, and let me say something about that. I really would appreciate it if if uh, more people would participate in the show. And I, I haven't even said how to do that yet this episode, but the way to do it is you go to ericdaw.com. That's my website, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link, and you can, you can send in your question there. Um, the other way to do it is to call the show, and you can leave a, a voicemail. That number is 757 Seven seven four eight four eight two. You can call or text that number seven five seven 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 four eight four eight two. I actually have two questions this time, one serious and one just for fun. The serious question for an electric guitar, are there any products you recommend for reg regular cleaning of the instrument? Basically, I quickly wipe down the instrument and strings when I've finished playing. Whenever I change strings, I take a little more time to clean, such as the fretboard. But I've never really felt the need to use anything more than a piece of cloth and maybe a drop of water plus a touch of lemon oil for rosewood fretboards. 
I do see all kinds of cleaning products on the market, but never felt the need to use them. Anything I should be doing that I'm not? And just for fun, we know that you love those vintage Chellies especially. What was the most unusual yet coolest guitar you've ever worked on? Thanks and keep up the good work. And all of the listeners, start posting your questions. Axel. <laughs> Thanks, Axel. Um, any kind of cleaning products that he uh, should be using or anything he should be doing that he's not. You know, do what works. That's what I say. And yeah, there's a lot of gimmicky, you know, there's a lot of gimmicky products. Um, I like to polish the frets. So one thing that I do um, is I use these little tiny polishing wheels on a Dremel attachment. You know, my Dremel has a uh, a uh, a shaft attachment, a flex shaft attachment. Right. And uh, I've got my Dremel plugged into a sewing machine pedal for speed control, so that I can I can control the Dremel with my foot. I've got a flex shaft on the Dremel, and then at the end of the flex shaft, I put one of those little polishing wheels in there. And then Stu Mac sells these great little uh, Stuart McDonald. Uh, they sell these great little um, metal uh, fingerboard protectors that have just a slit that the fret fits nicely in so that you can polish the fret and only the fret without touching the fingerboard at all. Cool. Yeah. it's. I think it's called a... I don't know what it's called. A, a fingerboard guard or something like that. If you, if you uh, go to Stuart McDonald's website, they're easy to find. Um, and I think they sell them in like a pack of five and they're pretty affordable. Do they come in different sizes for different size frets? No, I think they just kind of have a one size fits most frets there. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, that's one thing that I like to do when I've, when I'm doing a a setup on a guitar. Um, do you use any polishing compound or anything to do that or do you just? Yeah. A little bit of polishing compound on the, on the, on the polishing wheel. Yeah, so polishing the frets, the actual metal fret, is nice. Um, I just use, on, like, a maple fingerboard, a finished fingerboard, I just use, you know, regular old guitar polish. I like Dunlop 65. That's my favorite polish. That's good. That's good polish. A lot of the polish that they sell, I've never had any luck with. It seems to leave a weird milky haze on a lot of lacquer instruments. Uh, Martin polish and and... Uh, all the polishes that you see normally, I, Gibson polish, just they're just awful. Dunlop sixty five. That's that's my favorite polish. And then, uh, yeah, those little polishing wheels to do the frets. A lot of people use steel wool. I I stay, tend to stay away from that because all those tiny little steel wool particles um, stick to your pickups magnets in your pickups and they can kill your pickups right yeah yeah it sounds like you're doing a good job man and i i'm yeah what about rosewood fingerboards yeah a little bit of lemon oil is great uh i use a product called guitar honey hmm. uh gerlitz g-e-r-l-i-t-z guitar honey and uh, that's a really nice fingerboard conditioner but lemon oil's fine too what kind of bees make guitar honey? <laughs> guitar bees. And just for fun, he says, what's the most unusual yet coolest guitar you've ever worked on? Man, that's a tough question. 
I've worked on a lot of guitars. Um, he worked on a double-necked guitar with a rainbow on it once. Was that know, a cool one? It's so funny that you mention that because that's actually the guitar that I was going to bring up. No. Yeah. I was just trying to decide whether or not I should because is it <laughs> was it technically cool? It was actually so bad that it was cool. It had like come back around to being cool again. <laughs> it was a weird guitar. Double neck. I've got a picture of me playing it. Maybe I'll use that as the image for this uh this episode. Uh Double neck, electric guitar, one neck was 12 string, fretted, right? Uh-huh. The other neck was a fretless six string guitar, not a wow. bass, fret, a, a guitar with no frets, you know? Right. Really a crazy guitar. With It was white with just a big rainbow across it, you know? And who, was it just a customer that took a, fretted in? or A reggae guitar player up in Seattle. That's his main guitar. Well, I always thought that guitar was silly, but now I think it's really cool. It's kind of cool. I would personally not own it nor play it, but um, it was definitely unusual. Definitely very, very unusual and definitely pretty cool. Yeah. Cool. None of the super expensive guitars you've worked on are coming to mind? Well, they did, but, you know, I really... I really dissected his question, what's the most unusual? Yeah. There's nothing really that unusual about a Les Paul, even if it's a real 59 burst. Yeah. Right? Which you've worked on several, right? Yeah, a bunch of them. Cool. All right. Thanks, Axel. Keep them coming. Regarding cigarette smell, Mm. when we moved into our current location, we got a fleet of ozone generators to kill the smoker smell. It worked a treat. As far as trying this yourself, it is imperative that this is done in a sealed environment, preferably an outbuilding, as ozone is highly reactive and toxic. It may also bleach certain dyes. I can't honestly say if there are any other downsides to this technique. To quote Dan Erlewine, practice on scrap. Russ. Cool, Russ. That's a good follow-up. We, we were talking about how to get cigarette smell out of guitars and cases on the last episode. Right. And it's a question I get a lot. I never know. I never know what to say. What in the world is an, o- like there's a, a machine that just produces ozone and it's not like an old hairdryer. <laughs> uh, an ozone generator. I don't, I have, I just have absolutely no idea what that would look like and what, well, let's look it up. What What do you say? The Google. Um, we have the Google. You know, alternately, there's there's other things that get out cigarette smoke. A nuclear blast. <laughs> Fire. Right. Uh, a worse smell. Skunk. Yeah. So ozone generator looks like it's a machine. It looks like a smoke machine. It, it looks like a space heater. Yeah, it looks like a fog machine. So, you know, there you go. I, I don't know. I, it's probably... Interesting. Yeah. Maybe overkill. Yeah, it looks like that that's what they're marketed for, is to get bad smells yeah, they out. Get, yeah, odorfreemachines.com. How about that? Give them a plug. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, brace yourselves over there, guys. You're gonna... <laughs> <laughs> you 
Yeah, <laughs> Here come the flood, customers. <laughs> flood of visitors. Uh, hello, Mr. Eric and the lovely Melissa. I like this guy already. My name is Jeff, and I hail from good old York, Pennsylvania. I recently discovered your... Tip of the hat to you, sir. Yes. I recently discovered your podcast and have been binge listening for the past two weeks while at work. The show really makes time fly at my monotonous warehouse job. So, first and foremost, thank you for... Thank you for taking the time out of your busy lives to make such a fun, educational, and entertaining production. You're welcome. I want to do my best, my part to keep the show alive, so here goes nothing. Question number one. I have recently acquired a 2007 Martin D28 Marquis. It is, it is a fine guitar, but it has one issue that I believe to be common with this model of guitar. The bridge has begun to lift slightly in the rear, so much so that I can fit a medium-sized guitar pick underneath easily. It also seems to be fairly deep under the bridge. At least half of the bridge's depth seems to be loose. I have heard that this is due to Martin not sufficiently stripping the finish off where the entire bridge will sit, causing a mediocre bond. Does that sound right? Yes, it does. My question is this. Can I expect to gain any substantial resonance, resonance, sustain, or overall tone from getting this issue addressed? Also, is this an issue that is best taken care of ASAP? It also currently has an FWI nut and a bone bridge saddle. It is a little dark for my taste. Is there anything I can do to brighten up the tone a little bit? Thanks. Secondary questions Matt, are... Let's, let's take this one, one at a time, time here. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that needs to be fixed. That needs to be fixed. So um, he says, can I expect to gain any substantial resonance, sustain, or overall tone from getting this issue addressed? Absolutely. You know, the bridge area is such a microphonic area of the guitar that's where everything's happening on your acoustic guitar is the bridge that's where everything is happening or at least 90 percent of it so yeah if your bridge is lifting if like half of it is unglued that's a big problem not only um is it a structural problem but it's your your tone is going to suffer um it's dangerous uh to the guitar because the bridge also acts kind of as a brace as a stabilizer and uh, with that coming off, you could develop further problems. The guitar can crack. You can get bracing problems. You might start to get uh, some warpage in the top that would have to be um, addressed. So, yeah, get that fixed. Get it fixed sooner rather than later. He says uh, it has a FWI nut. That's fossilized walrus ivory. And a bone saddle. It's a little dark for my taste. Is there anything I can do to brighten up the tone a bit? My guess is that if you re-glue the bridge, that's going to be taken care of. Cool. Yeah. Uh, secondary questions are, I have recently repaired a headstock brake on a Yamaha F310. I believe it is for a friend. How can I go about refinishing the repair to best match the original finish? The finish is a typical dark color, but the neck wood is, is surprisingly light after sanding. And last but not least, can I wire a standard two-pickup Telecaster with a five-way switch for a broader tonal palette? Thanks again, guys, for all the joy you bring to the guitar community. I will be purchasing one of your custom pinup gals in the near future and hopefully a nice Malco strap to complement her. Oh, cool. Keep up the good work and strum a few chords for the little one for me. 
sound as ever, Jeff Metz Jr. Cool. Thanks, Jeff. Um, how do you match the paint on a headstock repair? Uh, the guys spend their whole lives perfecting that. I don't have an easy answer for you there. Um, that's a, that can be very difficult. It can be very difficult. Um, an airbrush can be handy to do that, but yeah, you know, a lot of guys will just kind of maybe sunburst it there, you know, and darken up the broken area. Or you can do something, you know, just to conceal it if you want to paint over it. You can do something like a stinger, like Gibson used to do on the back of their headstocks. Have you ever seen a stinger? Nope. You know what that looks like? Nope. So the back of the headstock will be black, and then it will terminate in a point. Oh. And then the rest of the neck is whatever color the rest of the neck is. Kind Interesting. Of a, kind of a cool look. Yeah. So you could do that. Trying to match that, if you're... If you're somewhat of a novice uh, uh, paint-wise, probably not going to turn out well. i got to be honest with you. That's, that's a, that is a difficult job. Well, what if it's just black? Would that be oh, easy? Oh, if it's black, yeah. Sharpie it and lacquer over it? <laughs> no, you just use black lacquer. Oh. Matching black is pretty easy. But any other color is hard. He says it's it's somewhat dark, so I'm guessing it's you know, brown. Yeah. And well, there's only 5,000 shades of, of, of dark brown. Right. It's going to be tough to match, man. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, his other question was, can you put in a five way switch in a telly to get a broader tone palette? Absolutely. You can. And there's a whole bunch of different ways to wire them. I've come up with some crazy ways to wire them myself. Maybe one of these days I'll let those secrets out. Um, but yeah, do a search on uh what do they call that thing a super switch do a do a do a google search on telecaster five way super switch and uh you'll see the schematics there for that absolutely something to do yeah cool yeah well thank you so much jeff i think we have one more question just came in hot off the press this is a this is a came in via text message Hey guys, I just bought a vintage K. Aren't they all vintage? K100 Vanguard electric guitar at a yard sale for $10. That's awesome. It has a single pancake pickup mounted in the pick guard and a tone knob and volume. I disassembled it, used naphtha to clean it up, levees and polished the existing frets. Leveled. He, he oh, levels. Yeah. <laughs> leveled. Uh, adjusted the truss rod and set it up. It plays really nice and has a tone of unexpected mojo, but it has this buzz. I am 100% new to electrics. I have built a couple of acoustics, but don't know one thing about electronics. When plugged in, there is a strong buzz, except when I touch the pickup. The buzz lessens dramatically. I'm guessing I have a ground problem. Can I just ground the pickup case to any of the ground lugs on the pots? Also, I think it has a Brazilian rosewood fretboard. The rosewood certainly has some really sweet, dark, irregular grain. How can I tell if it is or not? Someone suggested sanding or scraping the fingerboard to smell it. But what should it smell like? Love the podcast. And Melissa, I'm saving up to get a strap. Thanks for all you do. Cool. That's great. So, um... Does it have a Brazilian rosewood fingerboard? 
the rosewood certainly has some really dark, sweet, irregular grain. How can I tell if it is or not? It's it's Brazilian. I can tell by your description. Um, sanding it, you know, sanding rosewood does smell a certain way, but, um, the, you know, you don't have to do that. If you can recognize Brazilian rosewood, then um, you'll always know it. And uh, if it's a vintage K and has a rosewood fingerboard and it's got irregular dark grain to it, then it's definitely Brazilian. I can tell you with 100% surety that is Brazilian rosewood. Um, he wants to know, it's buzzing, there's a strong hum, except when he touches the pickup. Then the buzz lessens dramatically. Yeah, uh, so what you'll want to do is, uh, I'm, I hope you have a volt ohm meter. You can check and see if there's continuity between the jack, the ground, you know, of the jack, and the pickup. The other thing you can do, um, what did he say, mo what model this is? A K100 Vanguard electric guitar. Um, I don't know if those have a wood bridge or not. You know, one of the drawbacks of, of those guitars like that is they have... Um, a lot of times they'll have a wood bridge and there's no way to ground the bridge. The The bridge needs to be grounded on those. So uh, I'm going to just look at a picture of that really quick. K, K100 Vanguard. Let's see what kind of bridge that has on it. Uh, oh, that's a cool guitar. Nice score. Ten bucks for yeah. that thing. You'll want to ground... Yeah, so you want to run a ground wire to the tailpiece is what you want to do on that thing. That's what you want to do. That'll help a lot. Um, so the pickup is already ground. If you touch the pickup, yeah, here's what's going on. If you touch the pickup and the hum stops, then the pickup's already grounded because you're touching the ground. Um, what should happen is when you touch the strings, it should lessen the hum. Oh. So you want to run a ground wire from your uh, from the back of one of your pots to the tailpiece. A lot of old vintage guitars like this don't have that ground wire, and they should. Um, you have to usually, you know, drill drill a hole. That's It can be a little bit tough to do. Uh, I have a really long, uh, really long drill bit to do this. And if you don't have one, they, they, sell, uh, they sell them at Harbor Freight or any, you know, if you just want to get a cheap one, or any hardware store should have a nice long drill bit, but you need to drill a little hole to your uh, to where your tailpiece mounts, and then run a ground wire from the tailpiece to your electronics, and that should take care of it, just judging from the description of what's going on in your guitar. That should take care of it. Cool. Yeah, was that all of his questions? I think uh, it was. I think so. Yeah, He absolutely. didn't leave his name, but I no. sure appreciate him leaving a question. Yes, indeed. We do appreciate it. And I appreciate you listening to the show. Yes, you! I really do appreciate it. Um, stay tuned as far as weekly podcasts go. It'll be soon. It will be. Yeah. But we apologize. Thanks to everyone who participates in the show. Uh, I would really encourage you to keep doing that. Go to ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link, and you can send in a question there. Or call or text 757-774-8482. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.